We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, no Cooley today. Uh, we are now into the off season, so Cooley will be on two days a week uh, on average, maybe sometimes three as we approach free agency, draft, etc. Tommy will be back tomorrow. Um, I'm going to play for you in a little bit what Scott Van Pelt uh, told me on the radio show about Matt Stafford. Uh, we're going to start the conversation with um, uh, Washington football team and – Ben Standig talking about Matt Stafford. Ben joins us right now. Of course, Ben's with The Athletic. I would urge all of you to subscribe to The Athletic. It's totally worth it. I've been an Athletic subscriber for a year now, and it's been great. Ben just wrote about Matt Stafford. And I want to start with him because, look, I I think the over – the big picture for me – is that it's a, a it's a long shot to get Stafford because I think there's just going to be too much interest. I think there are going to be better deals that Detroit will be able to look at and deals, by the way, that may be able to send him to a whole other conference, the AFC uh, versus the NFC. We, it, it's it's also let's let's face it, it is a year that all of a sudden um, there are no less than 15, 16, 17 teams looking for a quarterback. And half of those teams think a quarterback will make the difference next year between playoffs, not playoffs, or deep into the playoffs, or just barely a playoff team. Uh, Big picture, Ben Standing from The Athletic, at Ben Standing on Twitter. Do you think Washington, even if they're super interested, has a reasonable chance of acquiring Matt Stafford? Well, I mean, I think they have a chance because they're one of the teams that you would logically think would be not just interested for all the obvious reasons. They need a quarterback, the Martin Mayhew aspect, hey, he's the guy that drafted Stafford. And just, you know, they they did make improvements late in the year, but the clear the quarterback situation is a mess. And they have all the their picks, like they have enough assets to get interesting. But the reality is, and this is a thing I think that's that that fans and maybe sometimes those of us in the media do fall fall victim to often is we, we are hyper-focused on the team that we cover when you know we have these debates. My, my quarterback is better than your quarterback. My GM is terrible. Our offensive line is the worst in the league. Because we, we, we watch this thing all the time and these people, but we don't pay attention necessarily to everyone else. And I promise you, everybody else in the league is also selling, is also saying that their team needs to get Matt Stafford. Our, our Colts writer just wrote a, a think-piece story about why that team 
must, must, must go get Stafford. <laughs> Philip Rivers retired. You know, they, they they have a pretty good defense. You know, they're just missing that one thing and so on. And others others have written the same thing. So the question then, it then becomes, does that from the outside translate to what's thinking on the inside? And there definitely will be teams, I'm going to imagine, who when they get to the end think to themselves, okay, we need a quarterback to go to the next level. Maybe that next level for them is going from, you know, six and ten to ten and six, or eight and eight to twelve and four. You know, to contend, whatever that may be. And if Deshaun Watson isn't really available, or we're not, or, or we don't think we can get him, and we don't get Matt Stafford, what are we doing? What, what, what are we banking on, James Winston or Cam Newton, or trading for Sam Darnold, knowing he's getting he has to get extended in a year? These are scary propositions. And so, I guess I imagine there's a team or two that will. Maybe panic is overstating, you know, overstating the emotion. But to some degree, will panic and say, "The hell with this. We we need to move forward here." Especially if it's like a GM or a coach that's in a position of, "Hey, if we don't win now, you know, we could be out of here pretty soon." So I imagine while I was asking executives around the league if they thought a first and a third was a reasonable price, and and uh, some were kind of balking a bit, but I think they also recognize. That may not even do it because it just takes one team to say, the hell with it, we'll give you two first or we'll give you three picks or whatever it is. Uh, that that could be interesting. So, yes, I think Washington could get him, but they're going to have to be aggressive. I don't think you're just going to be able to get him for a cheap price because there's just too many teams this year, as you pointed out, who need a quarterback. Uh, it's interesting, a couple of things that you said. First of all, um, your, uh, your column uh, that you just wrote about Stafford and what you just said, um, was Cooley's impression too, and this was on Monday. Cooley basically said it's going to end up being closer to two firsts. You, you, this is a guy that people actually really respect and think can elevate their team from either non-playoff team to playoff team or playoff team to deep into the playoffs team. Um, and there's going to be too many teams that are going to be interested and it's going to really get out of hand and it's going to ultimately be two firsts. Um, uh, so whether or not he's right, I think the the general idea is they're going going to be a lot of teams interested, and and that also um, something you said just makes me um, think about you know how so many of us and you know I do it sometimes, you probably do it sometimes. We are so involved with this one team that we're you know either fans of or we are you know paid to cover that you know you end up with like this impression i have so many listeners whose imp- that their impression of matt stafford is his record and it's because a lot of times they don't watch enough of the other teams in the other games a lot of you do who are listening i'm not suggesting that all of you don't but but if if you've watched this guy then you're probably going to have a similar opinion that the league has of him and i'm talking about league executives coaches gms etc he's highly respected and he is one of those guys that doesn't have a winning record that hasn't won a playoff game that I think, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong based on the conversations you've had, that evaluators aren't going to care about. They know what they're watching and they see a guy that can do it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all, look, you know, I think Matt Stafford, because we're going to talk about him so much up until the point that he gets traded uh, or Washington just figures out some, some other solution at quarterback, to a degree, we may like sort of inflate what what he is. He isn't Aaron Rodgers. He isn't Pat Mahomes. He's not at that level. But he has proven over time that he is a guy who 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 can stand up in pressure moments, who can get the ball down the field, who has 
the, the, the talent, the arm strength, the mental toughness, and frankly, the physical toughness to play through injuries and basically almost year in and year out play all 16 games. Uh, for a team that has gone through four, four starting quarterbacks in two of the last three years, that, that availability aspect is kind of a big deal and should, it should not be overlooked even when we just talk about statistics. So yeah, I think, I think there are some questions about Stafford to a point of like, you know, you read some things about, you know, leadership questions. I mean, if, if, if the quarterback is such an overweighted position and we're saying Matthew Stafford's all that, how come they haven't had more success during his time? They've had some, but not a ton. I'm not saying that, like you said, that the record is all on him. And frankly, you know, the Lions are the NFL equivalent of the Wizards. It's been 40 years of bliss and there's, a, it goes way beyond any one or two players. So teams are, teams like Stafford. And like I said, the reality is, it isn't just about Stafford. It's about what else are you doing? Like, to, just to use one example, last year everybody made a big deal about Washington going all in to try to get Amari Cooper, right? And they were, they were offering over $100 million. What was so interesting to me about that is it was obvious that Amari Cooper was by far the only sort of wide receiver one available in last year's free agency, and there wasn't anybody else. So Washington, I think, looked at it and said, we need a receiver, we're going to go all in on this guy. But when they didn't get him, they didn't then go the Jan Mahimi route and just spend frivolously on other stuff. They were like, no, we want that guy. We're going all in. I think Stafford is sort of the same kind of thing. There are other quarterbacks, but it's him. Again, I'm assuming no Watson and no Dak Prescott uh, and no Aaron Rodgers. It's basically Matt Stafford or good luck trying to figure out what to do next. And I think that's what's going to make him so interesting and why teams are going to say, yeah, he's good and there really is no other option if we wanted an actual upgrade at quarterback. The reports came out yesterday from Schefter and others that teams have already started to reach out to the Lions about what it will take um, to get Stafford. Do you think Washington's done it? Well, I would imagine they've had a conversation. Like, I saw Schefter's report, and I was kind of like, well, I mean, obviously, why, why, I mean, it came out on Saturday that this had happened, and, by, we, we, and we learned – as well that like when they were interviewing for their new coaching and GM position that sort of, they let people know, Hey, Matt Stafford may not be here. Just, just, so if you take this job, just understand that. So that's going to get around the campfire that other teams are going to be aware of this. Uh, I'm not suggesting Washington hired Martin Mayhew because they became aware that Matt Stafford would be available, but I'm pretty sure Martin Mayhew was aware that this is happening. Uh, same with Marty Herney and Ron Rivera. And therefore, I would be stunned if they haven't had some of these generic conversations to say, hey, we're, you know, it's like being in the Zoom. We have our hand raised when you want to have a conversation or when you're ready to discuss things in more detail, let, let's do that. Um, I was told that Herney and Mayhew are in Alabama for the Senior Bowl. Now, that's obvious in terms of what that, draft, that pre-draft event represents. But also, it's really maybe the only time this year in which the entire league is going to be in one place, right? Because there's no combine this year. I don't think there's going to be an owners meeting, or at least not, uh, you know, not in the same way, you know, in person. So this is an opportunity to actually be face to face. I'm assuming Brad Holmes, the Lions GM, is down there as well. So I would be stunned if, like, they didn't just randomly run into each other in some hotel lobby or whatever at a minimum and just say, "Hey, what's going on? How do I... Oh, Matt Stafford. Yeah, let's talk about that." Um, we're talking to Ben Standing from the Athletic. Uh, so. I think it's – I mean, this would be the move I would love them to make because I don't think Watson's a realistic possibility, and I don't even know that Watson will legitimately be available. Um, Rodgers, come on. Um, that's not really going to be an option. 
can't believe that bubbled up like that. That was crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're thinking about guys like Jameis Winston or Sam Darnold, we can get to them in a moment, but I would still prefer Stafford, even if I have to give up more draft capital um, to get him. Um, ultimately, based on the people that you talk to, what do you think the price will be? So I was, you know, when the news broke on Saturday, I was immediately sort of reaching out to, to people, and I think a lot of people were still absorbing it and taking it in. And you know, one of the one of the questions when I was getting some pushback about the idea of trading a first and a third for a guy who'll be 33, one Pro Bowl, you know, whatever. And when I was, I said, just to be clear, are you pushing back on this because you think I'm overstating the price, or are you pushing back because you don't want to accept this reality that I'm giving you? <laughs> he kind of said, yeah, kind of both. So I, I, I think ultimately, you know, whether it's a technically two firsts, you know, I, I don't know if that ultimately gets to that point. But, you know, the, the idea of first and a third sort of being a baseline, you know, feels like that may be the low end of this. Um, now, look, just to be clear, if, say, the Miami – I'm just making this up. If the Miami Dolphins, like, they're not going to trade the third pick for Matt Stafford. But if you go higher up in the first round than, say, 19, you know, maybe you don't have to give up two ones, right? I mean, maybe maybe at 19 for Washington, maybe you do. Maybe for some other team, if it's higher up, you don't have to. So either way, I think first and third kind of feels like a starting point, and then we kind of go from there. But like I said, we'll have to see how the market plays out. If Watson gets available, maybe that changes some things. Um, you know, they are at the Senior Bowl. Maybe they decide, hey, you know what, a guy like Mac Jones is more interesting than we thought. I'm not saying he is, but, you know, the quarterback from Alabama, if he's available in the back half of the first round, you know, maybe – He's not our week one starter, but we, you know, we don't want to. We, we would rather go long haul than, than, you know, go with, you know, some of the team decides they'll go with the version of a, of a Kyle Allen or, or somebody like that. So, you know, we'll see. But yes, yeah, I'd imagine the momentum for Stafford is only going to increase uh, here in the coming days as teams have a better sense of what's available to them, which is probably not going to be much. All right, let's assume that they, you know, the Watsons and the Staffords right now, and, and let's just. And Rodgers, if you even want to throw Rodgers into the mix. Let's just assume that none of the three are doable um, and they're not available to Washington either because of price or you know, they're, they're just better deals or they're more preferred destinations. What do you think that Marty, Martin, and, and Ron, what's their plan? Well, I think one, I think the Kyle Allen thing is the real thing. I mean, every opportunity Ron Rivera has ever had to talk about Kyle Allen, he talks him up. And, I, and, you know, I'm not the only person to notice when late in the season he was asked if Washington could have done that, that late search without Alex Smith, and Ron immediately said, yeah, we could have done it with Kyle Allen. Um, I think that is something to keep in mind. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that they think he's a long-term answer at quarterback, but it may allow them to say, look, we're not going to go all in on – some trading for somebody or giving somebody some fat contract that we don't completely buy in, but you know we, we're not going to feel desperate because of, of his his existence. I think that is a legitimate scenario, which which that doesn't mean then at that point they wouldn't add somebody else. And I'm not I'm not even to say Taylor Heineke. I mean maybe they draft the guy in the first round, or maybe they do bring in um, a Jameis Winston or somebody for for some sort of competition. But I think that I think the Kyle Allen thing is a real is, is something real and, and, and needs to be considered. I mean. Obviously, Cam Newton is going to have to be mentioned as well, since now Marty Herney's there. And obviously, all things Rivera revert back to somebody he knew at Carolina. They passed on Cam Newton last year. Never really quite got a great answer. Did Ron Rivera think Cam Newton was washed? Did he just decide, well, we have to give Haskins a shot? Kyle Allen is sort of a, 
uh, easier way to do that because you know if Cam Newton's here, there's no there's there's no quarterback competition again because Cam Newton is starting over Dwayne Haskins and maybe even I don't know I, we we will have to go down that road again but you know that that's just one of those things. Um, so I here's I guess my other point though, Kevin, and this is one thing I got into with my story, and I'm curious your view. We talked about actually you and I talked about this on the radio the other day. Like if I say they have a two year window coming up, I'm not saying they have a two year Super Bowl window. I'm saying they have like a two year window with the roster that they have now before things start getting expensive with that defensive line with Terry McLaurin with Morgan Moses' contract, Matt Ioannidis. They can kind of keep everything in place for the next two years based on just my rudimentary understanding of the salary cap before things start to escalate. And if you insert Matt Stafford or somebody like that into that conversation, I think you know that becomes interesting. But if you wait to figure out the quarterback, you draft somebody you're going to develop or whatever, that that window becomes you know tighter. And now you're going to have to start paying the John Allens, the Deron Payne's, uh, McLaurin, and then you know Chase Young, et cetera. Like that, that to me, why I kind of feel like the veteran aspect seems to be, I, I keep leaning more in that way than say the draft pick, because it does feel like there's an opportunity here on multiple fronts to take advantage of, and that's where the veteran comes into play. Uh, you know, ro- roster management um, is so important in the NFL. Like, I, 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 you know, there are so many conversations we both have, and sometimes I don't have all the answers and I don't understand all of the machinations or the possible, you know, moves teams can make. Um, Sometimes it looks like if you're just looking at contracts and you're looking at, you know, projected total salary cap numbers, you can do back of the envelope map math, but they they understand this so much more. One thing that's really clear is that over the last 21 years, this has been a major weakness in the organization, certainly the first 10 years of Snyder's ownership. Now, Bruce, because he was so innately cheap, um, and he was, you know, Mr. Hey, I got a, a C minus player for an A plus contract, which was pretty much his move, with the exception of, say, Deshaun Jackson and, you know, Josh Norman and a couple of the big moves that he made that sort of fell into his lap to trade for Alex Smith, obviously. Um, uh, this is going to be something to watch because this is a big off season. Last year, they decided that it didn't make any sense culture uh, wise to to try to bring back uh, guys like Quentin Dunbar, or Trent Williams, um, and they moved on from them. By the way, it's one of the things I said on the podcast yesterday, and I know you wrote about this. You think that they can keep all of these defensive linemen from a roster um, management and a cap standpoint. I I would be very surprised if they move on from Jonathan Allen. Um, I I think Jonathan Allen, it's much more likely that he will be getting a contract extension at some point versus getting traded, which a lot of – uh, a lot of the fans think that you can throw John Allen into a deal for Deshaun Watson or for Matt Stafford or or for someone else. And first of all, he's only got one year left on his deal. It's the fifth-year option deal, which makes him you know a tough guy to trade unless you're going to simultaneously ink him to a long-term deal. But I but I just think that he is 
in Rivera's eyes, in Jack Del Rio's eyes, he's exactly what they want as part of the overall culture change. I think John Allen, it, it, it's, it's, he might be Ron Rivera's favorite player uh, on the team. I just don't see that happening. But anyway, getting back to the roster management thing, this is we'll find out how good they are at this. I think Marty Herney's been okay. Um, Mayhew, you know, you've got professionals, you know, you've got guys who have done it and done it in organizations that weren't great or were average, um, better than this organization, certainly Carolina, but it's huge. Some of these decisions that they make, but I come back to this, Ben, you've got to have a quarterback. I don't know what they think other than I agree with you that they really like Kyle Allen. I would agree with you. I think I, I think you would say this, that at least Scott Turner really likes Taylor Heineke. But do they really think they can contend for a Super Bowl or that they can go five, six, seven straight years and be a playoff team in 90% of those seasons, winning 9, 10, 11 games a year with either one of those two? That's a, this is a moment for them. This is a moment to really make a big decision. This is where, you know, Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder never had any vision. You know, you've got to be able to identify somebody early and then lock that person up. You've got to be able to identify whether or not you have the answer or not, or whether the answer lies somewhere else. This is a big moment for them because there are a couple of options here and even drafting at 19 there are a couple of quarterbacks in the draft I I come to this I know that Heineke played a really good game and I actually liked Kyle Allen's couple of starts Heineke's been injured in every single game he's played Allen throws picks both of them were undrafted free agents and you're hoping that one of them turns into Kurt Warner or Jake DeLome even and I don't know if that, that'll happen. So this is a big moment for them. And then managing that will be really important as well. This is a huge offseason for, for this new triumvirate to, 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 to really make a move or stand pat, which would also be a move, on the quarterback. What do you think? Yeah. By, by the way, I was just thinking about this. Like, I haven't done, done been on the, the. I do the radio show all the time, so I didn't think about this. I haven't done the podcast in a minute. Shout out to the dozen or so people who legitimately tell me they like hearing me on your podcast. Uh, I get I get more that people hear me on this than anything else I do. It's the radio too, but but this more. So. There's Ben standing with a people. shout out to you guys. Thanks. Keep keep uh, going back to Ben after he's on. I have him on for a reason because I always like. It's not an interview with Ben. It's always a conversation, and I love the people that I have on shows, and, and usually it's a lot of the local guys that I know and beat guys where we end up having more conversations than interviews. Like, if I have, um, uh, I don't know, if I have a, a co- like Ron Rivera on the show, on the radio show, that's an interview. Um, m- more or less, though, 80% of the people I have on shows it turns into a conversation and Ben's really smart and knows a lot about what's going on with this team. He is from my standpoint a very respected 
sharp opinion. So that's why I like having him on the show. I'm glad people also like when you're on the show. Although you didn't say that. You just said that people reach out to you. Hopefully they reach out to you with positive comments. I would imagine that they do. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The point, the larger point is they listen to you. That, that, that's the real point. This is, a um, big, this is a big moment. This is a big off season as it relates to, to yeah. many things, but the quarterback position in particular. There's no Dwayne Haskins in this conversation. We thought there would be four months ago, even three months ago, you know, right. and, and no, I agree. so anyway, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. So I think like, so for example, again, let's just say for you know, the Indianapolis Colts get Stafford and, and Watson face Pat. So what do they kind of do? Well, all I'm saying on Kyle Allen is like, I think he is somebody that Ron Rivera would think, okay, if I, if I have a quarterback competition, because the reality is, I don't know if there's anybody else out there right now, I think is a must start all the time. Kyle Allen gives us a guy that we can use, right? I don't know if he's the Super Bowl level, but he gives us a guy. We have to kind of sort of figure things out from there. Um, of, of, of the generic names that are out there, I actually think, and I just sort of talked about this on, on my podcast, um, that the if you look at it from an upside perspective as well as a cost perspective, I actually think Jameis Winston is the guy that intrigues me the most. There's a lot of concern. The turnovers are off the charts. And if New Orleans were to let him go after being with him for a year, you'd have to wonder, wait, why are the Saints saying, I'm out of here? But the ceiling is pretty high. I can't imagine he's going to cost much based on, you know, he got no interest last offseason. And, you know, it's not like he did anything for real with the Saints. But there is some legitimate upside there. And, you know, you put him in, you know, with this coaching staff. And, look, you can have the competition with Kyle Allen. It's not like you have to say to Jameis Winston, you get the gig. But, obviously, I think we would imagine he probably wins out. But that's where I think Kyle Allen gives them an opportunity to say, okay, look, at a minimum level, we can bring in somebody else, have a real competition because we think Kyle Allen can do some good things and kind of go um, from from there. Um, To your larger point about this being a big offseason, this isn't the exact same thing, but you know I think about the Wizards too much. Let me go back to this. When the Wizards in 2017 playoffs, they go against Boston, they go to the Game 7, and they lose. And they, and they, right, That was the first year of Scott Brooks. This isn't the exact same thing, but the next year Scott Brooks had an incredible amount of power. He is the first. He, he, he's already had a good reputation coming from Oklahoma City. He comes to this new team. They are the team. They are the hot team in the East. Everybody's excited about where things are going with the Wizards. But he squandered all that power. He didn't take advantage of it by going to his star players and saying, "Hey, you guys have to do this more now." Instead, he just kind of let them continue to drift as needed, and that ultimately is one of the reasons why John Wall's situation ended up where it was, where disgruntled, they eventually got frustrated with him, whatever happened there was a lot of factors in there and what I'm saying is Ron Rivera has a lot of juice right now we already kind of know this but not only is he the guy in charge he's coming off a really good season, they won the division he'll be in the conversation for coach of the year the owner is relatively muzzled compared to his norm because of all his other stuff going on we imagine, at a minimum Rivera is the guy who seems to be pulling all the all the levers right now, and this is an opportunity for him to do what to make the bold move. I don't maybe, and that's why maybe the Stafford thing, if that's what he views as bold, is the way to go. But I think this is the chance for Ron Rivera to say, "I can do what I want right now. I have this power. I'm going to use it." Because if I wait, you never know what happens in this league. We can't assume next year 
that everybody will be back and healthy and things will have gone right. They have a first-place schedule. It's going to be a tougher road this year automatically because of that. So, yeah, I think this is where, unlike where Scott Brooks didn't use his power when, when he had it, Ron Rivera is showing that he is with the front office hires, and then this quarterback thing I think is the next step. Does he take full advantage of this power he has to say, we're making the bold move right now and going to get going to get somebody well in many ways he already made the boldest of moves as it relates to the owner um he cut loose the owner's draft pick and right. you know there were a lot of people that weren't sure that, that he'd be able to do that and it's a good sign that he was able to do it i'm not thrilled that he had to start that way but um i you know i sort of believe that it was you know, Ron going into this year, not knowing how bad the division would be and saying to the old Mr. Snyder, hey, I'm going to give him a shot. And he gave him a shot, but um, he benched him after four games and cut him before the end of the season, which really, you know, we, we, we really, because of everything that happened, you know, they made the playoffs, they won the division. Um, it's, it's really incredible that, I mean, I think we overlook the fact that Dwayne Haskins his career is hanging by a thread, and it's not even here. You know, it's it's like not even here. And that would have been a hard prediction to make um, and really an out-there prediction to make last, you know, July or August. Um, although it was in play, you know, if, if he didn't prove to a new group um, that he could make it work. So, and by, yeah, go by ahead. By the way, just on the, on the Haskins thing and just to sort of <laughs> plug my – my, my podcast, yeah, the, the Standard Room Only. Plug it because I, I, it's I great. On, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. So I had on uh, Quincy Avery, the quarterback coach for right. a lot of people, including Deshaun Watson, Trey Lance, one of the projected first-round picks, and Dwayne Haskins. And, you know, back a year ago, uh, Quincy Avery, one of these guys who was saying, hey, Dwayne Haskins, you know, kind of look out. Here, here we go. So I was sort of curious, like, what was his view of Dwayne Haskins now having seen the season play out, not just on the field, but off the field? And, you know, what he said on the podcast was like, yeah, Dwayne has things to work on. He's got to become more mature. Yeah. He's got it. We have to sort of dial it back. It, it, it sounds like they'll work together. We'll see. Continue to work together. But he said, like, we have to take it back to like a rudimentary level, I believe, is what he said. So I mentioned that just to say that for all the questions about did this team botch it with Dwayne, I feel like, you know, the evidence continues to point. They gave him opportunities, and unfortunately the kid didn't take advantage of them. And I think that's important to note as we move forward with the next quarterback situation that the evidence suggests don't blame them. If we're going to blame somebody, blame the kid not being ready yet and blame the owner if we want for, for putting this kid in this position. But I think that's important to note that even the guy who has been working with Dwayne on the outside was bringing up some of the issues that the rest of us had been as well. Look, there's only one person to blame for blowing um, a 15th pick in the first round of an NFL draft in this particular situation. It's the owner. The owner went against his football people and said, no, we're going to take the kid from Bullis. You know, and whatever his reasoning was, um, it wasn't based on a real understanding of anything, um, which none of his football decisions have over the years. That just goes on the long list of major owner-influenced bungles uh, by the by the organization. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned Jameis Winston. I actually like Jameis Winston. I don't know. Sometimes I know some of you out there say, is there a quarterback you don't like? Um, it's always just based on looking for for an answer here. You know, I mean, that's that's my my 
prism. I mean, that's my my perspective is I'm always trying to find, you know, if that guy became available, would I want him here? Uh, yeah, based on what they have here, yes. I actually think there's something very intriguing about Winston, but you said something that would be 100% true. I know the Saints don't have great cap space, but I think if if he's not in New Orleans next year, that that's a red flag. Because I do think that Sean Payton would be the best judge of whether or not, or certainly one of the best judges, as to whether or not Winston could become a franchise quarterback. And if it's if he can, then they're gonna they're gonna move, you know, whatever they need to move contract wise to make it happen. And if they if they don't now now Winston's got to commit to them as well um, because he's an unrestricted free agent. But Winston would be best served to play under Sean Payton as well for his career and to figure out a way to make it work. So if if Winston isn't in New Orleans, I would I would have some concerns about that. The guy that that has gotten very little discussion, and obviously this this is contingent on the Jets making a move uh, for quarterback either in the draft or if it's for Watson, um, is Sam Darnold. Like I, Sam Darnold fits the description of what we think they like in a quarterback, which is really smart you know, quick process guy and mobile. Um, you know, I wonder, you know, he could be a guy that w- that could become available. Like there's so many possibilities. The bottom line is, unless you tell me otherwise, I don't think we really have other than what we know. How We know they feel like Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke are really guys that know their system and that they, that they like. Um, but we don't know if they like him to the point where if all else fails, we'll be okay with them, or we don't need to go search for anything thing else. We've got our answer right here. Yeah, so here, here's what I think is sort of a, like an overarching aspect to all of this. So, okay, right, so, so they bring in Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney, and everybody keeps asking, hey, uh, what, uh, what are they going to be doing? What are their responsibilities? I had somebody in one of my uh, – uh, um, in the message board and one of my articles sort of say to me that they were frustrated with the fact that we weren't providing with more reporting on this. And it was, it was a nice guy. I'm not trying to pick on them, but like, he's like frustrated that we're not bring, providing more reporting on who's doing what. And the response, my response to that is that when I, when I inquire about this, I feel like everybody else is getting the same answer. The answer is it doesn't matter. <laughs> they're going to do personnel. They're going to do cap. It doesn't matter. What matters is they're reporting to Ron Rivera. And so don't look at the general manager like this is the person making the decision. Now, Rivera may frame it as, you know, we're going to do this together and kumbaya and all that. And that's fine. I'm not doubting that he thinks that. But ultimately, his will, his whim is where things are going to go. And we saw that this year in a lot of ways as well. So to that end, what does Ron Rivera think about this? Does he want to go through another year with a rebuilding quarterback, even if Dwayne Haskins was on sort of the more frustrating level of guys who maybe didn't put in the necessary work and maybe you wouldn't have that issue with a Trey Lance or a Mac Jones or whatever? Does he want to go through that again? I don't know. And then also, this year sucked, right? On every level, this was a miserable year for him personally and professionally. Now, granted, professionally, by the end of it, they obviously did very well and they win the division and all that stuff. But, you know, it was a tough year, personally. Does he go to, the, the, what, what, what did everything he went through, how does this change his vision of the world? Like, does he view, like, oh, we can sort of keep building? Or does he view it as, hey, you know, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow in this life. Let, let's get 
let's get going. And and lastly, Kevin, I remember this very distinctly. He what, they win the division. They beat Philly. We're on the Zoom calls with him. The very first question, Ron, basically some version of has it feel. The fourth sentence of his first answer after winning the division involved the phrase, boy, now we have that first-place division schedule next year. Huh? We'll yeah, right. about that. <laughs> yeah. He, that, is, that is very much on his brain. And so, like, I think you put all those things together, and that's why I just keep going more and more that he that they think they need to get a veteran quarterback. I, it's conceivable, they think, that the combination that they have is, is that solution. I just can't buy that after going through what they did where Alex Smith can't, can't be available for three of the last four games um, and was limited, and, you know, realistically, even when he was playing, that Kyle Allen, like you said, availability is a big deal. <laughs> you need to have these guys out there. I, I just, Matt Stafford is as durable as they come for the most part. And I just, you know, if you, it, this is, like I said, more tea leaves than anything else, but it comes down to what does Ron Rivera think? And I just keep thinking he's going to, he's going to believe I need to get somebody to go now and not build because building <laughs> that, that, I'm, I'm past that. that. That's my gut on sort of the situation. Uh, right now you know there's also um in just uh in in talking through this together a couple of things sort of jarred my memory on gibbs said this too um gibbs was on my radio show um i don't know a year ago maybe um and i asked him about Dwayne haskins and gibbs said you know it was not typical gibbs because he basically said look leadership is the most important thing about this position and he's got to learn to become a leader they have to find out whether or not he can be a leader it's something that Rivera echoed too very early on you know a year ago leading into the spring leading into the summer leadership 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 so you know the person I don't know if Kyle Allen's the kind of leader that they need. I don't know if Taylor Heineke's the kind of leader or whether or not they view those guys as really solid backups, as, as answers if their leader and their franchise leader at the position you know, were to go down. Um, I, I, I don't know that. But, man, Matt Stafford fits that description based on everything that you've you know read about him, heard about him. You know, uh, I had Dan Miller on the show last week, the voice of the Lions on the radio show, uh, there's a really good interview Galdi had on 980 yesterday. You can listen to that on the radio.com app with Michael Rothstein, who covers the Lions um, in Detroit for ESPN.com. You're going to hear what Scott told me um, about Matt Stafford, what he thinks. Scott also told me off the air that he's gotten to know Matt very well. Like there, There isn't anybody in the league that doesn't think that he's, you know, capable of being a big time leader and a very successful quarterback in a in an organization that isn't like Detroit. Um, but anyway, uh, I think that that's well, all. He, in, knows, he that, knows Clayton Kershaw. He does. They went to didn't they uh, go to high school <laughs> together? And and that I, I think I heard something about that twenty times. Yeah, they 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 both went to that high school in that very beautiful area of Dallas, um, Highland Park, uh, which is. I don't know, one of the most gorgeous, uh, close-in suburbs of any major city uh, in America. Um, Anyway, uh, another thing to keep in mind, I guess, is that you know, if they draft somebody, you know, you're 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 potentially void of that leadership next year and and the year after. I I don't know. I I don't know what they're going to do. I do think this. I think that Stafford's not going to be gettable. 
Watson's not going to be gettable. Winston ultimately won't be a gettable guy because if he's worth it, then he's going to stay in New Orleans. Dak's going to stay in Dallas. Tua is not going to be somebody that you're going to acquire even if Miami trades for Watson. Um, The Darnold thing is interesting to me. You know, some of the other veteran guys that are out there, you know, as free agents – um, whether it's you know Ryan Fitzpatrick or Jacoby Brissett or wh- wherever you want to go um, with the the various uh, guys that that you could go get, I don't know if any of them will be massively inter- interesting. I hope they they go after Stafford in a very aggressive way and just end up winning it, Dan Snyder fashion, overpaying if they have to because I think that would be a guy that would be worth it. They've always overpaid guys that weren't worth it. Um, but my guess is that ultimately. Uh, what you have right now in Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke um, and maybe some sort of uh, young player that they draft not necessarily in the first round ends up being the quarterback mix on the team when we get to training camp. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's hard to argue that because I do think that they think that Kyle Allen can work, which is all that matters on some level. If they believe that, it doesn't matter what that's the reality, but as long as they believe it, then they won't. They, they, they think they have a baseline to fall back on and thus don't have to, you know, as I said, panic uh, and, and so on. But we'll see. It's going to be interesting for, for sure. I mean, it's possible that there's other executives around the league who, who have the same sentiment as the few that I talked to that say, hey, um, you know, first and a third for, you know, 33-year-olds, one Pro Bowl, no playoff wins. Uh, you know what, what? What? What are we? What are we making of this here? Is it just on that the Lions are the Lions, or does this Matt Stafford bear some responsibility if we're viewing him as a guy to take us to another level? So, yeah, I I, I would probably agree with you at least for like an odd standpoint. I mean, I'm I, it, it's hard to say where Washington fits on the likelihood of teams to get him, but the odds are not particularly high just because there are so many teams available, and you know they may view like I said that they have enough. If it if it comes down to that, and they can always add one of these other uh, one of these other pieces for sure. It's uh, you know somebody asked me the other day uh, now that the season's over, like what do I do? And I was like, Are you serious? You know I cover the Washington football team, right? <laughs> there are always things. There are always things. There's a GM search that that got a little crazy. Now there's a quarterback situation here we have to play with there's free agency the draft I'll, I'll be okay uh by the way too um you you had mentioned cam newton i don't personally think that's even in play uh, if you watched him play this year he can't do it anymore you, he just can't do it anymore I, I don't i don't think that's an option um hell in in some ways i think ben roethlisberger would be more of an option than cam newton if for whatever reason pittsburgh decides to go in another uh direction or a teddy bridgewater like a, a bridgewater could be um an option if carolina goes in a different direction um in the same what, way that what I do think. you think about what do we think about andy dalton um i've always liked dalton um you know i I haven't thought about Dalton as a possibility. I would say no, that he's probably not their kind of guy. Like if they're going to go with a veteran, they're going to go with, you know, a a real lead. I think the leader thing is going to be a big deal. I think that's why they loved Alex and kept Alex around. Um, And I don't see that happening for another year. Um, By the way, if you look at their salary cap situation, and again, I'm not that guy, but if you just look at the basic math, 
it, it, you know, they can always rejigger contracts, but Alex Smith just sort of moving on from him, even with like an eight to ten million dollar cap hit, that is still a pretty substantial savings. It's like thirteen have, to fourteen million in savings, yeah. Yeah, and and so that it, it was just that without knowing exactly what other teams could do, that gets you up into the range of where the Patriots are, about ten million or so less than the Colts, two other teams that may be in the mix for Stafford. So you know, like, but even beyond the Stafford part, like it's the one thing they can do to get more money and you obviously you have the Brandon Scherf thing. Are they going to go out and get a, a free agent receiver, you know, a high end one? Uh, what else are they going to do? Are they going to extend your Jonathan Allen type? So like, it is the one way. So I, I, I just don't see how you're bringing Alex Smith back unless you just absolutely believe that he's your best option because look, they did win his last five starts. I just don't, it's just hard for me to look at it and think I can rely on that guy uh, for, for 16 games. No, I, I don't think there's any – I really – I think the cap savings alone, um, they're moving on from him, and um, whether it's retirement by on his in his situation or whether or not they release him, I don't see Alex Smith back on the roster um, for that very reason. You know, But the, the practical reason that he – he can't be your starter, or you can't count on him to be your starter for 16 games. And to your point about the cap space, I think most people know this. They have a very, very good cap situation, a top 10 cap situation, depending on which site you follow. Best in the division, um, it will improve significantly um, without um, without Alex Smith. It will move into the top five um, very easily into the top five uh, if they get the savings from Smith. And therefore, you know, you're looking at signing Sheriff to an extension, potentially don't laugh again, signing Jonathan Allen to an extension, maybe getting early on somebody else um, as well, like a Duran Payne. But I think also they could be very active in free agency. Now, if you know, one of the reasons that you would attract an Allen Robinson or a Kenny Galladay, as you know, in terms of the wide receivers or Chris Godwin, and after all the balls he dropped during the the, the uh, the postseason, I don't know if I want him. Or like a Corey Davis from Tennessee, who I think really started to come on, but A.J. Brown's really their number one. You know, one of the ways you're going to attract these guys is to have a quarterback answer. Like if you say we're rolling Taylor Heineke and Alec and, and Kyle Allen out, you know, that 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 could potentially impact your ability to sign a big name offensive. Um, free agent. I mean, Galladay could be perfect if you end up trading for Stafford. Galladay may go to whomever acquires Stafford, although Detroit could easily, he's only 26 years old, I think, um, they could easily franchise him as well. Allen Robinson's a possibility, you know, there. I already mentioned Godwin. There are receivers out there. Um, there are also corners, you know, that aren't going to be super high priced, like Desmond King from Tennessee, which I think they'll be interested. By the way, Curtis Samuel's a free agent, you know, from Carolina. You know, he may want to um, potentially come back and play for for Rivera and and Scott Turner. Um, so they're oh, gonna. We, that's a that's a lock, right, Curtis Samuel? We, can we can we just like go just go make the Curtis Samuel burgundy and gold jersey? That's happening, right? Come on. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I would think it is, but I'll tell you what. I really think that the Carolina situation is really impressive. I think Joe Brady really knows what he's doing. We'll see what they do at quarterback. I'm actually surprised that they're ready to move on from Bridgewater so quickly. Carolina doesn't have, if I recall, the best cap situation, but it's far from the worst. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, he's obvious. He he makes he would certainly continue the Carolina to Washington, you know, caravan. He'd be he he'd just you know jump to the back of it and say, hey, let me catch up with everybody else that's there. Um, and and to, to be honest, like for me, this is way forward thinking. But like knowing that Terry McLaurin looks like a stud, and I don't personally, Ben Standick doesn't like spending a ton at receiver. Because I just think it's not a it's not a dependent it's a dependent position the further you know the further away you are from the line of scrimmage and I, I don't think that's how you build teams spending a lot there and if I know in within two years I'm giving McLaurin a big extension I don't want to overpay that position so I'd rather I I get the Allen Robinson intrigue or guys like that but I actually think I'd rather go for that second tier maybe if it's Curtis Samuel or somebody else and go that route it's still an upgrade. But I can. But I'm now not sort of messing with the the idea of overpaying a receiver in, in a year or two. So I actually would go that route myself. I mean, let me just say that I don't really. I, I, I look Curtis Samuel. I guess is second tier by definition. He's also a a player that's grown here significantly in the last couple of years, and he's utilized in so many different ways. I remember before the Carolina game, I mentioned you know that Samuel's going to get three to four carries in this game. You know, he ended up uh, I think for the year having close to 50 carries. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember going into that game projecting like he was going to end up with 50 rushes as a wide receiver. Um, Here it is. Hold on. Uh, He had 41, so I was nine off. He had 41 rushes for 200 yards, so he basically averaged, you know, close to five yards uh, per carry. Had a couple of touchdowns rushing too. You know, um, that actually brings me to something real quickly that we'll finish up with. There were two um, mock drafts yesterday that came out. CBS Sports line, uh, CBSSports.com did theirs. And then Kuiper had his updated um, draft, uh, mock draft. And Kuiper's is, you know, his version. Um, I don't know if this is version 1.0 or whatever, but he had Washington drafting the same player that the CBSSports.com mock draft had. And this guy happens to be one of my favorite players from last year in college football. The wide receiver from Florida, Kadarius Toney. If you watched college football this year, and I know not everybody watched as much of it as, you know, with all the cancellations and postponements, Florida was right there. If they didn't lose to LSU, um, they may have actually ended up being a playoff team. They were pretty close to it. Um, Kadarius Toney just, to me, looks like Deshaun Jackson, looks like uh, a slightly bigger version, not as fast or elusive like Tyreek Hill. He is this slot guy that really looks uncheckable, like really difficult to cover. And I just thought it was really interesting. Both of the mock drafts had Washington at 19 taking Kadarius Toney. You can Google his highlights. Anybody can, I'm sure, if you just go to YouTube. He's number one for Florida. And Florida was a prolific offensive team with Kyle Trask at quarterback, with Kyle Pitts, their tight end, who's also going to be a first-round pick. Florida off of that offense is going to have three first-round picks, more likely than not. Um, But Tony, man, looks so much the part of the slot guy that ends up really causing problems. Um, for the uh, for the opposing team, so you know that's also sort of Samuel's position. I guess is why I, I brought it up. It reminded me of that. I think they're going to address that position, and they should, whether it's via the draft or free agency, because Steven Sims Jr. didn't you know didn't live up to what we were hoping he would live up to. But uh, especially, by the way, Tony's also a returner. Um, he was also a really good punt returner uh, at Florida as well. Um, anyway. 
what I'd else? like to see them in theory get a veteran receiver, but at the same point, it does feel like the younger, like this idea that it takes three years for a receiver to develop, that, that seems to be going out the window when you see guys like McCorn, A.J. Brown, Metcalf, and others coming in and playing playing very good right off the bat. So, yeah, I don't think drafting, a, assuming they have that first-round pick, I don't think going that route is a, is a bad way to go. They obviously have to get more help. I like Cam Sims, but they need, they need more playmakers on offense. Yeah, and you know, big guys, little guys, it doesn't really matter anymore. You need guys that get immediate separation, can catch the ball. This guy's a hands catcher, um, and he is phenomenal uh, after the catch. Um, But Samuel, look, Samuel had what, like a 40-yard run against Washington in that game um, against the Panthers uh, in December. Um, thanks for doing this. Uh, Ben's podcast, by the way, can be listened to any way um, you listen to, to my podcast, whether it's you know Apple Podcasts or Spotify or TuneIn or Stitcher. Um, ben, also, if you just follow him on Twitter at Ben Standing, also, uh, you know, he always provides a link, a direct link um, to his podcast called Standing Room Only. It's really good. Um, so listen to that. Subscribe to The Athletic. I will talk to you later, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, man. All right, when we come back, um, what Scott Van Pelt told me on the radio show this morning uh, about Matt Stafford. You'll hear that next, right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Scott Van Pelt was on with me on the radio show this morning. Uh, We actually talked a lot about my next topic um, after this one, which is 20 years ago tonight, one of the worst losses in Maryland basketball history. I'll get to that to finish up the show here shortly. Um, Before you hear what Scott said about Matt Stafford, this segment is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, Kevin DC, and they'll match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. I get asked all the time, Sheehan, I've already got a sports book. Why, why do I need another one? Well, two reasons. One, they're going to give you some free money to play with. All right, again, they'll match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. So if you deposit $1,000, they will give you an extra 500 to play with. That makes it worthwhile uh, all by itself. But secondly, if you're serious about this, and be careful about being too serious about this, um, you should have more than one place to play. You should com- uh, have a place where you can compare point spreads, compare money lines, compare pricing, so you're getting the best point spread or the best money line at the best possible price. It adds up. 
You know, if you're, you know, if you've got, let's just say tonight, Maryland uh, against Wisconsin, and at my bookie tonight, I'll give you the updated line right now on the Maryland Wisconsin game. Maryland Wisconsin tonight on my bookie at mybookie.ag. Uh, Maryland is a three point underdog. So if you actually like Wisconsin, you want to play it on this site, minus three, because I've seen more three-and-a-halves anywhere else. So you may have two sites. You may have this site, and you may have another one where Wisconsin's laying three-and-a-half. You'd rather lay three. So, um, you know, that's the kind of thing. You can comparison shop with point spreads. You can comparison shop with VIGs, with fees, um, with uh, money lines, etc. It makes it worthwhile. Um, my bookie is also, most importantly, one of those places you can trust. Not all of the places uh, out there are places where if you p- you know play and you win and you make a deposit, are you going to get paid or get paid uh, in timely fashion? You can trust my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag. They've got Every way you can bet the Super Bowl, every way you can bet every college basketball game or NBA game or NHL game, uh, live in-game betting, plenty of props. Plus, they've got a live casino uh, and a live sports race book as well. MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. So Scott was on the radio show with me this morning. We talked a lot about the Maryland loss to Duke 20 years ago tonight, the Miracle Minute, the Gone in 54 Seconds game at Coalfield House. Uh, You can go to the Radio.com app and listen to the radio show and listen to that interview in its entirety. Gary Williams was on with me as well. Or you can just go to the Team980.com and listen to the third hour of today's show. But I wanted to play this for you because as part of the interview, we talked a little bit about the Super Super Bowl, and then I said to him, "What do you think of Matt Stafford?" Here's what he said: "I love him. I love him. I love him. He plays hurt. He's a, he's a gamer. People can go. Oh, what did he do in Detroit? Like, I, good luck with Detroit. What's anyone ever done in Detroit? Um, you know, there's there's criticisms that can that can be made. Um, sure, of him. But if you're asking me, like, would I trade the 19th and whatever else to get Stafford to Washington in a second? Yeah, I'm with you. I've been a massive fan, as you know, for years. Yeah, uh, it's just it's funny because it it it's, it dovetails perfectly off the conversation. I have so many people that listen to this show and call or tweet that say, "Are you aware of his record as a starting quarterback? He's never won anything." Yeah, I'm completely yeah. aware of that, and I still would take him because I've watched him and I know that he's really good. And if you put him, you know, in a, in a in a situation, you know who loves Matt Stafford. I don't think I've mentioned this yet. I I, I listen occasionally to the Pat McAfee show, um, and I did not listen to it yesterday uh, to hear what Aaron Rodgers um, said uh, because Aaron Rodgers is a weekly guest on McAfee show on on um, Mad Dogs Network. And Aaron Rodgers, unsolicited a few weeks ago, was asked by McAfee, said, made a comment, did you see that throw Stafford made? And Rodgers spent three minutes going off on how great he thinks Matt Stafford and how people do not appreciate how good Matt Stafford is. So that's a, that's a pretty a good endorsement. Me, I had a guy tell me that, 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 that a coach, one of his coaches uh, on his staff, will go out to uh, watch Stafford warm up pregame. Just Arians. Because the arm... He, yeah, there you go. They are like the arm talent, but that, it was it was unreal. It was different. It was it was a different guy than that. And Aaron said that on the record. So, like the, the right people respect Stafford. Like with with respect to your wonderful fans that call and tweet, I'm going to trust <laughs> the people whose job it is 
to uh, analyze the, the the talent in the league who who know what it is. Like the right people respect him. So, uh, and I just again, I just love the fact that through broken ribs and high ankle sprain, ankle sprains with nothing to play for, like he's out there probably taking the needle or doing whatever he's got to do to be on the field to play for his team because that's that's what the guy signed up for. Like I said, I get 19th and whatever else you need to get him here, and I wouldn't think twice. All right, five to ten minutes on what happened 20 years ago tonight in College Park, right after this word from one of our sponsors. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Excellent defense for Terrence Morris. No way to go. Good defense. Very good. Battier over Morris. And the rebound to Miller. Solid defense. Wow, he's so fast. Twenty years ago tonight, uh, the Miracle Minute game, the gone in fifty-four second game, and that what you just heard coming in was part of what seemingly was a great night if you were a Maryland basketball fan at Cole Fieldhouse in College Park. Maryland had dominated Duke for thirty-nine of the forty minutes. Terrence Moore slamming home a Juan Dixon miss. They had an eleven-point lead with about six minutes to go in the game. It was one of those special nights at Cole. There have been many of them at Xfinity Center over the years as well. Sold-out house, fourteen thousand five hundred, raucous. And when Moore slammed home that Dixon miss, you felt like the roof was going to blow off of Cole. I was there that night, and what happened in the final 54 and a half seconds was sickening. Maryland was in control, up 90 to 80, and then Duke made their incredible comeback. The crowd on their feet. Williams goes down the lane to lay it in. Duke can no longer stop the clock. 53-5 to go. It's an eight-point lead. They need a miracle. And Maryland will call timeout with 48.7 left. Missed them both. Duhon with a rebound. It's a five-point game. Duke has the ball. Do you believe what you're seeing? The shot clock 
Of course, 35 seconds. The game clock is 40.4. Dixon nearly lost it. That is incredible. Williams lost control. Got it back. Battier. Doug Levy for three. Taylor. Tip won't go, but oh, the foul. Oh. 21.9 oh. seconds left. If he had made that, the foul was called. The basket would have counted. This is incredible. This is one of the most stunning things oh, that I have incredible. ever seen in a basketball game. Patrick and Brad Doherty were on the call uh, that January night, 2001. Uh, the game wasn't over yet. Duke had made this unbelievable comeback. The place was stunned. It was like the air had been taken out of the building. And I, I'll never forget the feeling that there was no chance they were gonna, going to win in overtime. But it wasn't like you were leaving quite yet. Sticking around for the overtime, it went back and forth. And Maryland had a chance after Duke missed a free throw. Dixon's got the ball here at the end, and you'll hear how Mike Patrick and Brad Doherty called Maryland's final attempt to tie the game. With 16.4 seconds left, a three would win it for Maryland. And it was over. Uh, 98-96 final. It was a stunner. It was one of the worst gut punch losses for any team that I've ever rooted for that I can ever remember. But it was the first of what turned out to be four epic games between the two teams. Maryland would go to Durham, to Cameron Indoor on Shane Battier and Nate James's senior night. And Juan Dixon put together one of the great performances in Cameron Indoor by an opposing player ever. He had 33 points, six steals. Krzyzewski said it was the best performance by an opposing player in that building that he could ever remember. And they spoiled, Maryland did, that senior night. Uh, but then it exceeded extended into the ACC tournament where they played in the semifinals. I'll get to that one in a moment. And then again into the Final Four where Duke rallied from 22 down to beat Maryland in the Final Four, 95-84. to It was an incredible run of games between two teams in that league, and it really was the 
in the moment, the rivalry in college basketball. North Carolina would end up being down the next few years with Matt Doherty at the helm, uh, and Duke and Maryland really emerged as the two teams. Duke would win the national championship that year. Maryland would win it the next year. Um, They had that Final Four matchup um, as the fourth and final installment of that 2000-2001 season, which started with that game 20 years ago tonight. It was an incredible game, an incredible memory, a terrible memory. Memory uh, to to watch that happen, but it is as I think back um, on that season, it was such a special season, such a special set of games against Duke uh, that year. Maryland lost three of them. Mar- the only one they won was at Cameron Indoor. The best of the four, and I'll leave you with this. I thought the highest quality game, eight, nine pros uh, in each of these games, you know, not elite pros necessarily, but Maryland had three or four guys that ended up in the NBA. Duke had three or four or five guys that ended up, ended up in the NBA. Guys stuck around longer. These were high quality games. I thought the best game of the four, though, was the ACC tournament semifinal at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. And this is how uh, Mike Patrick, who was on the call for this, one, but this time with Dick Vitale. This is how they called one of the most frantic, incredible endings to any of the four games that these teams played. Nobody took a timeout, and you'll hear it, Maryland down three, Blake scores, then Duke scores, and then Dixon nearly knocks in a half-court shot at the buzzer. That was a great stretch of college basketball games between two rivals, two uh, really, really good teams in this sport. Uh, by the way, Maryland plays Wisconsin tonight. Uh, this would be another big win for Turge if he can pull it off. Anyway, uh, so long for the day. Back tomorrow. 82-79. 16 and a half seconds to go for the right to play for the championship. They need a three. You don't want to begin to look at that thread. And Blake will take off. Oh, what a shot. I mean, Mike, what a big three by Mr. Blake. Now Duke for the chance. Williams down the lane. Mr. Blake take it by Nate James. Good by Nate James. What a finish. Dixon to win it. Oh, oh, it's awesome, baby. What a game. What an incredible game. That is just remarkable. Duke uh, that year. Maryland lost three of them. Mar- the only one they won was at Cameron Indoor. The best of the four, and I'll leave you with this. I thought the highest quality game, eight, nine pros uh, in each of these games, you know, not elite pros necessarily, but Maryland had three or four guys that ended up in the NBA. Duke had three or four or five guys that ended up, ended up in the NBA. Guys stuck around longer. These were high quality games. I thought the best game of the four, though, was the ACC tournament semifinal at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. And this is how uh, Mike Patrick, who was on the call for this one, but this time with Dick Vitale, this is how they called one of the most frantic, incredible endings to any of the four games that these teams played. Nobody took a timeout, and you'll hear it, Maryland down three, Blake scores, then Duke scores, and then Dixon nearly knocks in a half-court shot at the buzzer. 
that was a great stretch of college basketball games between two rivals, two uh, really, really good teams in this sport. Uh, by the way, Maryland plays Wisconsin tonight. Uh, this would be another big win for Turge if he can pull it off. Anyway, uh, so long for the day. Back tomorrow. 82-79, 16 and a half seconds to go for the right to play for the championship. They need a three. You don't want to begin to look at that three. And Blake will take it. Oh, what a shot. I mean, what a big three by Mr. Blake. Now Duke with a chance. Williams down the lane. Mr. Championship what a game! What an incredible game! That is just remarkable.